When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Clear and Present Danger. It's Die Hard in the War on Drugs. Here we go. Phil, how are you? I bet you're good. good. I bet you're good. I'm good. Tell me why. Why are you so good? Because we're doing a huge film and we needed someone uh, to bring in the someone big, big for this one. Yes. So we have a very special guest on the show, a SAG Award winning actor, writer, director, comic book author, and host of two of the biggest and best film podcasts in the entire world. The multiple award winning How Did This Get Made and the critically acclaimed Unspooled both of which are phenomenal shows that weekly top the charts on the Apple iTunes Top 100 podcasts. We are beyond thrilled to welcome Mr. Paul Shear. Oh, wow. What an introduction. I mean, I don't know if I can live up to that. You already have, Paul. I have to say, you know, when I heard the title of this podcast and I went and listened to episodes, I was immediately in Die Hard to Me, you know, die hard on anything. I mean, really, this 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 is a podcast that needed to be done. I love what you're doing. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you so much. And it brings us to the first sort of question. And I know that you've covered it on Unspooled with a phenomenal episode that I just re-listened to when you you and Amy Nicholson did a brilliant deep dive on on Die Hard. But I'm curious for our listeners to hear what's your personal history with Die Hard? So Die Hard is incredibly formative for me because I am a huge Bruce Willis fan, or I grew up a big Bruce Willis fan. Bruce Willis was on Moonlighting when I was a kid, and there couldn't be anyone cooler than Bruce Willis. He had an album that came out called The Return of Bruno. I thought Bruce Willis wrote Under the Boardwalk. Like, I literally, you couldn't give me enough Bruce Willis. And I grew up in a time where buddy cop movies cop movies in general, were just a staple of my, like, cinema diet, and I love them. And so seeing Die Hard was truly, like, a mind-blowing experience. I would say that I probably came into the franchise the same way I came into James Bond. Like, I came in on Die Hard 2, went back to appreciate Die Hard 1, right? Because Die Hard 1 was R, and I was at a point in my life where I really couldn't navigate Die Hard 1, even though it was kind of okay. It Look, there were certain things I could rent, certain things I couldn't. And uh, I went backwards to it. But Die Hard 2, for whatever reason, I was allowed to see that. And (laughs) Die Hard 2 was my number one for a very long time. And then, you know, just like Roger Moore was my favorite James Bond until I saw others. Uh, You know, so, yeah, Die Hard to me feels like not only a movie that I watch, you know, at least once a year. And that time of year is 
often around Christmas. And I don't care for the debate about whether or not it's a Christmas movie. It's a movie that takes place during Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Amen. It's, it, you know, it. this is the way that we go. You know, this is, uh, you know. Um, but I went back and was such a Die Hard fan that I actually read the books mm. that Die Hard was based on just because I wanted a, a further connection to it. So it is a part of my DNA. I love it so much. And I truly don't think it can be beat. And I still think it holds up to this day. The original Die Hard is really, it, it, you're hard-pressed, even with technology and all these other things. It's just in that perfect cusp of enough technology that doesn't feel super dated. It exists in a, in a world where it's like, okay, yeah, I, th this isn't like, oh, well, if they had a cell phone, it would be way easier. Like, you know, like that doesn't really come into play here, you know? And um, the second one, sure. Third one, different things. But uh, but yeah, Die Hard is a formative, formative movie. Like I said, I love Die Hard. So... Uh, well, you're in the right place. Yeah, uh, yeah I think, Phil, you may have a new yeah. co-host for the show, to be honest. I think I'm going to step away. Uh, amazing. No, I, I love, yeah, I love to hear that. And that is really interesting that you kind of went went backwards with Die Hard 2 first. And we'll get to this in a second, but this film actually has quite a lot of connections with Die Hard 2, as well mm. as um, Die, Die Hard, uh, the original Die Hard. So what's your relationship with the movie that we're discussing today with with Clear and Present Danger? All right. So again, I come from this background of watching action movies and whatever action movie was there, even if it wasn't for me, I was seeing. So Hunt for Red October, I saw, I liked it just fine. I really like Patriot Games because Indiana Jones is in it, mm -hmm. right? How can you not, you know, that, that was the upgrade for me, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and conversely, Sean Connery, James Bond was in uh, Hunt for Red October. I remember having a solid connection to Patriot Games. I tried to read Patriot Games. When, when you're a child and you're reading Tom Clancy, that is the that is like trying yeah. to read Ulysses. Like, you know, it's Absolutely. like it is it is mm -hmm. dense. It's dense. It's boring. It's technical. It's like, you know, it um, but I read it because I was like, oh, I, I feel like this is what adults read, Patriot Games, you know. And then I really remember. And when we were talking about doing the show, I was like, oh, I really want to do Clear and Present Danger because I think that's the best one. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, well, we'll talk about it. But my memory of Clear and Present Danger is very different. My memory of Clear and Present Danger really eliminates the first 90 minutes mm. and really, really <laughs> the last 30 is what I remember the most from Clear and Present Danger and why I was like, yeah, I like this movie. But you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of. It's a lot of dad. It's, it is maximum dad. This is you know. This is members only jackets. This is you know. This is. Uh, it's interesting because, in a way, this is the role that Harrison Ford should be playing now, mm. right? Like, but back then, it's it was kind of this come down. Like he he, you were used to him doing more action, and it was like, oh no, this is a guy who doesn't want to get involved. Like he mm. he's just an analyst. He's just an analyst. I, I believe in the Tom Clancy books, he becomes president at one point. He does, yeah. yeah. And they've talked about doing a Jack Ryan president movie with Harrison Ford. Like I feel like now would be the he's age appropriate, so to speak, for the part. Yeah, now. Well, sign oh, 100%. me up. Sign me up. Yeah, I would watch that. Well, board. I love where you're going with this because it's right it's right in the sweet spot of what we discuss here. Before we get too m more into that, uh, why don't we do a little top line yeah, fact Phil, check just to put this in, in context. about the film Clear and Present Danger. 
So the Clear and Present Danger had its wide release on August 3rd, 1994, which was approximately two weeks after our last film, True Lies. So we're now six years after the release of Die Hard in the summer of 88. As you just said, it's based on the novel by Tom Clancy. The adapted screenplay was written by John Melius, a very interesting figure mm. who we'll, we'll talk about. Yes. Donald E. Stewart, um, who was uh, involved in Patriot Games, as I, as I recall. And Stephen Zalian, absolutely like thoroughbred top, top screenwriter of, of the last 30 years. It was directed by Philip Noyce, produced by Mace Neufeld and Robert Remy, and it stars Harrison Ford, Willem Dafoe, Anne Archer, and James Earl Jones, amongst many others in this incredible supporting cast. And on an estimated budget of 62 million, it grossed 215.9 million. Um, a significant hit, wow. which kind of says a lot about I mean, you know, we, we, we were debated about, Liam and I were talking about this before the show, about how sometimes there's been a narrative that's like, oh, they don't make movies like this anymore. Like, it's a bit of a hacky take now, and, and I'm certainly guilty right. of it, right? But <laughs> I would say... guilty of that take. Yeah, I've literally dedicated a podcast to being that guy. <laughs> however, however, a movie just came out uh, recently called Oppenheimer that I would suggest is is kind of like pretty similar in the sense that it's an expansive, long movie with international scope with a huge ensemble cast that is about multi-layered storylines and also a, a sort of procedural about governmental process and bureaucracy and it's grossed nearly a billion dollars so it, it kind of goes to show that this film is still the, these types of films are, are timeless and have an appetite like what what do you think about about that would you agree what i think is this who is going to the movies mm. right and and i think we're constantly in this battle of who are we making movies for and for a long time in the last you know decade or so, I think we were aiming to a much younger audience. But you have James Mangold keeping the dad move alive <laughs> or movie, I should and say. Dad and dad moves. Alive, and dad moves. You know, yeah, dad move. <laughs> yeah, it's like there are these movies. It's, it's the same way I feel about when, you know, a movie like Girls Trip or Sex in the City does like this amazing box office. People are like, who knew? Mm. Who knew that, you know, crazy rich Asians, there was an audience that wanted this. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to make the movies forever. Like you got to find these avenues. And I think that if you do a 80 for Brady, you're going to bring out a certain audience. If you do a movie like this, you're going to bring out a certain audience. And the people who don't go to see movies are going to see Oppenheimer because like, oh, that's that's an mm -hmm. adult movie. And I think that's what I really liked about Oppenheimer, too. It's like, oh, it's like an adult movie. I haven't seen an mm -hmm. adult movie. And we I grew up in a time where it was only adult movies. Mm. It was like these thrillers, these sexual, th a lot of sexual movies, you know, but but like I look around in this movie and I go, wow, th there's not, you know, John Milius mm. is a perfect example of why this movie works. It's like, that is, it's like, hey, I'm a man and I make these man movies and we're talking about goddammit drugs and, <laughs> and in Mexico and we're, some fucked up shit is going on. You know, it's like, there's an energy there that I just feel like, and I think it's, I think we should be making movies for all. All the segments. Yeah. You know, but I think that sometimes we were just trying to make movies for one. And, and so we get into the zone where we're like, oh, another kids, you know, like kids that are 29 playing 18 right. in a house. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, it's interesting you said, because I actually brought just as before I left today, I pulled up what were the top like 10 movies of this year? And it actually kind of backs up your point because it, it was quite eclectic. The Lion King was number one. Then you had Forrest Gump, True Lies, The Mask. 
Speed, The Flintstones, which I was surprised because I thought that was a flop, but maybe it was just critically unsuccessful. Dumb and Dumber, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Interview with the Vampire, and Clear and Present Danger was at number 10. So that's such a good point because sometimes we fall into that trap of thinking movies need to be this and they need to be this or they need we kind of go to these extremes. But actually, there should be kind of something for everybody for all ages, demographics and and taste. I did wonder if you had any particular memories of this golden summer of 94 where... Yeah, this is a golden summer of like weird highs and lows because what you're talking about is like Beverly Hills Cop 3, totally a bummer. (laughs) Uh, Flintstones, totally a bummer. Uh, You know, City Slickers 2, not Mm -hmm. as good as City Slickers 1. Wolf, Wolf, bummer. Wow. You know, The Shadow, bummer, right? Then you have True Lies. Okay, good. The Mask, I think it gets a lot more attention than it deserves. But then you have Natural Born Killers, yes. True Lies. You know, I come to hate Forrest Gump now, but I was at a perfect age when I saw it originally. I was like, Forrest Gump is the best. Uh, and Speed, you know, and that, like, those are movies that I'm like, okay, this is a high-low summer. This is a really interesting one where we are going back to the well, we're trying new things, but I like this summer overall because, like, okay, there are certain things that should have worked better, like Wolf, should be a better mm. movie. Shadow should be a better movie. Flintstones is tricky. Uh, should be better, I guess. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because I feel like I have a memory of going to see this movie with my dad, which will come as no shock to anyone because this is like dad juice, this movie. But I have oh, like yeah. really clear memories of seeing this, of seeing Speed twice, right? Like, and the fact... Of course. It was Speed the was best. Great. And the fact that we were... Like every week or every other week going to see a movie for adults. Well, yeah. Well, can I, the the best one too, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's not a diehard in a, but if my dad loved another movie that came out summer of 1994, Maverick. Oh, yeah. Yes. Maverick is great. Maverick is great. And Maverick is like right up. That's like dad juice. I mean, that is like, <laughs> I mean, this is like, you know, that's like calling back to their youth. And that was like a probably, but Maverick and, and Clear and Present Danger definitely are big dad energy movies. Totally. And, you know, especially with the like Richard Donner, uh, Mel Gibson connection, like coming off of Lethal Weapon and Danny Glover cameo. I don't know if you guys remember Danny, Danny cameo. Glover's cameo saying, I'm, Loved it. I'm too Lived old for, for this it. shit. And just being like, this yeah. is, my dad you make lost movies. his mind. It was like yeah. his era's tour. It's like if Taylor Swift came out, oh, my yeah. dad was like, this is, this is like the perfect. It's true. It's I, now that I think about it and we're listing off all these movies, I'm like, me and my parents would go into the cinema every every week right. or every two weeks. You know, now I'm lucky yeah. if I get out <laughs> as a dad, uh, like once a year <laughs> to see Oppenheimer. You know, like oh my gosh, my my kids. I gotta tell you this thing. <laughs> so I was, I was um, with my 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 kids are sports kids. They love sports, um, and we like sports. You know, um, how old are your kids? Uh, nine and seven. Okay. So my nine year old says to me. Dad, there's a kid on my team that reminds me of you. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Why? And he goes, he likes movies. <laughs> and I go, and? He goes, yeah. I mean, I go, it's not weird to like movies. Like, uh, whatever. And I was like, what? E- whatever? Like, I can't wrap my head around, like, that my son thinks it's An weird antiquated concept. That I like yeah, I like <laughs> movies. Movies. Not like you like Disney movies, you like the, you like just movies in general. You like an art form. <laughs> yeah, like on, you like uh, there's a, and it it is it, I, I never felt so small. It was the God. worst thing my child could say to me like you like movies. Like it was disdain. Say a prayer for the and youth. And when I said America. it's not weird to like it. 
And that was, but that was, for me, it was the best part of, yep. of a weekend was, yep. you know, going to the movies, renting a movie. Yeah, all that totally. Stuff. I have like such strong memories of like literally going to see like LA Confidential with my dad, the movie ending and him being like, let's go to the video store. What movie should we rent yeah. tonight? And just being like, that is like, what life was. It was spending oh, my heart is like hours at the video <laughs> store in the 90s and him being like, just pick a movie and me being like, I don't know if we should get Dr. No or From Russia with Love. Like, it's hard to right, make these yes. decisions. It's unbelievable. Oh, like, dear. you know, oh, incredible. Happy well, days. Speaking Happy of days. the 90s, Phil, should we move on to our section, Die Hard DNA? Thank you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh, you need a little like uh, like guitar riff in there to exactly. give me, <laughs> or like a nice little piano, nice yeah, little yeah. piano Jurassic Park theme. So yeah, this is where we um, just outline any of the spe- uh, some of the specific links between the film that we're covering and and uh, and the Die Hard or the Die Hard series. So please chime in if you um, think of any more or, or if you have additional thoughts. The ones that I caught were. The main one being Clear and Present Danger is the third film in the Jack Ryan franchise that was, of course, started by uh, diehard Helmer John McTiernan, who directed Hunt for Red October and put this franchise on the rails. Um, We again have a family man action hero, an ordinary guy being thrown into this crazy situation. There's a dual helicopter insertion sequence, and you know I love that shit. (laughs) That's Philly Uh, special. Philly special, as we call it. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, the bit of old school computer hacking. Love that. The Love best. to see a computer I with mean, green real, digitization. Real old school. I mean, it, the getting the password was one of my favorite parts of this movie. That's just like, so good. That's the best. That and when he it's hits the, the print screen button repeatedly. Oh, I mean, like, oh man. And yet never, that still feels never, current now. Yes. <laughs> never feel, never felt more pressure than trying to refill a paper printer. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> it's so relatable. Fantastic. Harrison Ford, so relatable. Fantastic. And then the last uh, couple of ones that were connected to Die Hard 2, your first entry into, uh, you know, yeah. your uh, gateway drug into this world. Um, with the drug war theme that comes up in in both films, um, if you remember the, the general that's being... Uh, transported in Die Hard 2, and they literally, the, the reporter literally says, like, I think this is the first victory in the war on drugs. Or, uh, and there's also the appearance of the actor Tom Bauer, who plays the quirky airport janitor Marvin in Die Hard 2, so and uh, appears here as the drunk helicopter pilot. Um, what I love about the, that guy is he's got to be like a Chicago theater actor, right? Like I don't I don't know him too much Colorado, about his history. Oh, from, Colorado, yeah. but like he just yeah. feels like a guy who's doing like Lanford Wilson plays, and then the rest yes. of the time is like, or is you know doing like great bit roles in action movies in the nineties. Well, to me, it feels like he's one of those guys that you want to hang out on set with, like that. Yep. Like, I've done many movies where you're like, oh shit, you've been in everything <laughs> yeah. and they're like let me tell you a story about marlon brando you know it's like oh wait you work with marlon it's like yeah i did his last movie no one saw it but here you right. know it's like it's one of those things like he's been in stories so much stuff great right. yeah great actor yeah the, the last point and i'm interested in your thoughts on this paul it has a deep suspicion of government and state mm-hmm. power and state institutions much like die hard would you yes. what do you think like would you say well, that's fair I, I wouldn't say that Die Hard has that on its sleeve. I, I think that what Die Hard does interesting is like take a heist plot and kind of class it up a little bit. Like they show like this way of manipulating bearer bonds. And, mm-hmm. and it was very much like, I think, this fear of the Japanese, right? Like taking over our buildings mm. and taking it, you know. So I think that they're talking about like America being... Uh, co-opted. But what I think is so interesting in, in Clear and Present Danger, and probably for the time, and why I think it made it a, a tougher rewatch for me 
was this has been so explored now mm-hmm. in shows like 24. And, you know, and I think that we, and that's just one, but this type of plot is so duplicated. And and that maybe is a like the reason why this movie was successful. This movie was a hit, but this type of story feels like, oh, hack on a certain level. Like, right, it's like, oh, but the president is also involved. It goes all the way to right. the top, right? And But it doesn't also have that parallax view conspiracy to it. It just feels bureaucratic. Mm. And I think that maybe that's the difference. Like, parallax view felt like there are people behind whispering. We don't know who they are, was, right? Yeah, this is just people in a hallway going, like, I want to be ahead of this, and I, I'm power. It's It's very... It very Tom Clancy, like this is real. This is not, you know, I think they go through great lengths to show you how this could happen. This is not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, very interesting, uh, you know, analysis. And I think that it's, it feels now like, yeah, the, the president being a source of suspicion is like, is, is very, is very normalized and there's nothing fresh about it. But I actually think at the time, and we'll yes. get to this in the, you know, in the next section, there'd been a long gap between those kind of Watergate influenced thrillers that you're referencing, Parallax View, uh, Conversation, mm-hmm. uh, All the President's Men, obviously, um, which you exhaustively covered and, and beautifully analyzed on on Unspooled. Um, you know, all of those kind of things. But then there's a long gap for the Reagan 80s, which were yes. tended to be pro-America and the American right. America's back and we're cocking the shotgun and we're kicking ass again. And then then and this this book, of course, written in 1989, I think, or when it was published. So it was sort of post-Iran Contra. And but it, it, at the time in mainstream movies, I think the idea of having a president being a source of uh, a source of suspicion in a mainstream American film was actually something relatively new. Yeah. But we'll get into that in when we get into the anatomy of an action movie right after this quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back. Let's jump into our section, Anatomy of an Action Movie, where we list the tenants. We live in a twilight world. And there are no friends at dusk. Paul, are you, um, you a tenant, tenant hive? Tenant hive? Wait, t- uh, you know, I <laughs> sadly drove out of tenant in the movie theater. Yeah, I, oh, I, wow. we saw it in Did a drive-in. Did you go to the drive-in here in LA? We, yes, we went to the drive-in. Yeah, I think I need to, well, maybe depending on who you ask, <laughs> I do need to rewatch it or give it another shake um, because it was hard mm-hmm. to really connect to it in a car. And uh, I, I blame myself for that, but I didn't go back. I didn't go back to I it. I saw it in this probably the same drive-in as you did and was like, I give Nolan a lot of latitude, so I was like, "All right, that was that was yeah. a tough that was a tough hang in the car." <laughs> um, yeah, it was also yeah. deep, deep quarantine, so like you know, I hadn't like left my house in eight months, and then I went and saw it in the New Beverly in thirty-five millimeter, and I was like, "Okay, this this kicks, like this really, really works." It, it well, it works I think great. you know, there's something about it where if I go back and watch it, and I try not to make sense of it, I yep. think I'll enjoy it more. Absolutely, and that is tricky because. 
he's a naughty filmmaker, and I felt like that one is just a knot that you're not going to unravel, but yet it presents like every other one of his films that it's like, oh, but there's more, and there's mm-hmm. this, and there's that, and it's like, ugh, it, like it just it it's like a frustrating Rubik's cube. It's like I appreciate the Rubik's cube, I see the Rubik's yeah. cube. Yeah, but I'm not. I have no intent to solve it, and then I'll be at peace with the Rubik's cube. That is a, so maybe that's how I should. That do is it. a good Fair. philosophy. Fair. And I mean, when you see it eight or nine times, you sort of stop worrying about that, right. that aspect yeah. of it. Oh my and God. by the way, like, and 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 I want. And you know, we're talking about dad movies. We're talking about complicated movies. Like, there should be movies like this. Mm-hmm. Like, and and there should be there should be more tenants. There should you know. I don't. I'm not asking for things to be dumbed down. I'm just saying it's not one of my top. Right. Uh, no one's, you know, mm-hmm. and that, but I appreciate and respect him for what he does. And I, I'll go out on a line just to show you that um, I do have a different Nolan opinion. I really liked Interstellar. Me like too. When I saw Interstellar, it worked Hell for yeah. me. And I was like, yeah, I really think this movie is beautiful. And, and I could talk to people who are like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, oh, that movie. So it's like, you know, it's, I, I think a great director will have that you know it's like okay rum raisin's not my favorite flavor but i respect it as a flavor. well you'll appreciate this as a dad so will phil when i saw it in imax i was like okay cool that was like an interesting movie when it came out and then recently i was on a flight to new york and i put it on and i was sitting next to my five-year-old daughter and she was just like can i have more snacks and i'm like literally sobbing watching this movie with my uh, daughter next to me because <laughs> i'm like oh my god yeah, yeah. like it really it, maybe it hits different i think that that's how we, i feel about it all the time we we just had a kid when I saw it. It was a fir- one of the first movies back, and so I really felt it. I mean, and then uh, a little while after, I saw, I just remember it had uh, Amy Adams, uh, Jeremy Renner. It's the alien one where they have to speak in, like, they're drawing pictures. Arrival? Yes. You know, those are these movies that you sometimes, when you're, at a, you're in a state, and you check it, you check in, you're like, wow, okay. Yeah, like, you know, it's like, and I don't know. And sometimes I don't want to go back. The same way I feel about Dumb and Dumber. I love Dumb and Dumber. I saw it. I don't ever want to see it again because if it's not as funny as I thought it was, it will You're preserving the memory. There's a lot of movies that I love that I don't want to go back to for that exact same reason. You're like, you know, it was perfect. And I'm, you know, it's 20 years ago or whatever the case is. And why... Why ruin it? Why ruin my memories? Unless it's Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, which I recommend watching... Every Friday night. Yeah, and it holds I mean, up. that you have to. Fridays are for that. Saturdays are Cobra and Phil's <laughs> yeah, house. Exactly. That's, that's how he rolls. But by the way, I have to say this. I actually just recently showed my kids Happy Gilmore, the, the golf one. And they went crazy for it. They went bonkers. And there was something so fun to watching them lose their mind at a comedy that I lost my mind at as a kid. And that was one of the best moments of parenting ever because it was sort of like, oh, what we both at the, you know, not the same age because I was older, but but it was like just to see that that connection. And I love a comedy that can work. Like the same thing for Home Alone. Like mm-hmm. I have appreciate Home Alone on such a deeper, like when it came out, I was like, this is a kid's movie. You know, like kid's movies. And now I like, I I put Home Alone up on a giant pedestal. I think it's one of John Hughes' best. It's There's something really great about, like, uh, so much good stuff in that movie. I'd love to talk to you about that, actually, and maybe we could talk about this separately yeah. because I know that you have a theory about it being a diehard movie. Uh, I so do. I would love to dis- discuss that with you perhaps at a, at, a, at a later date. Yes. Oh, by the way, bring me back. My second episode will be 
Home Alone is Die Hard. Oh, yes. That is that Christmas is, special. I will go. You just I will be having Paul to beg Shears. you to do that. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It is truly the one thing that I felt like I made a quick YouTube video about it or something, and I did not get to really dig in. I would love to. I'd love to get out the research yes. and let's well, just break it all down. Well, quick behind the scenes, when we when we reached out to you, Phil was like. I think we could ask them to do Home Alone next, and I was like, "Let's see." Oh, Christmas man. special! I would do it. I would do it. hundred percent. Let's do it. Oh, All right. Goodness. Well, our first tenet uh, of Anatomy of an Action Movie is uh, the premise, and the premise of uh, Clear and Present Danger is thus. After a close friend is murdered by international drug traffickers, the vengeful U.S. president tacitly instructs his national security team to launch a series of secret military strikes against the parties deemed responsible. And soon, CIA analyst turned uh, deputy director Jack Ryan discovers himself to be an unwitting pawn in a covert illegal war between American paramilitary forces and the Colombian drug cartels. As the carnage escalates, Ryan must find a way to quell the bloodshed and expose the corruption at the heart of his own government. The the ticking clock, which comes up later in the story, is when the American paramilitary forces are ultimately betrayed by the mm. national security officials and abandoned behind enemy lions. Uh, can Ryan formulate a plan to rescue them before it's too late? Now, the question we had a question for you about this because the narrative of the film, as we alluded to, has been filtered through a number of people with differing political views. We've got like the likes of Tom Clancy, John Melius on one end of the spectrum, then there's other folks such as Philip Noyce and Stephen Zalian and Harrison Ford. Do we think this movie has a coherent political point of view or message? Well, to me, I think that what I found funny about this movie is we spend so much time trying to justify the point of view, but now this point of view is so ingrained within us. So I think that they do a great job of, to your point earlier, this is new. For most people like, oh wow, the president could be culpable in this, or we're seeing how the presidency works in these small ways. Like I love that moment where Harrison Ford tells the president, don't say, you don't know him, say you were, you don't say you were his friend, say you guys were the best of friends, right? Like these little ideas of, and, you know, and when the photographer's in there taking a picture or how they set him up on trial to take the fall. And we, we've we come out of Oliver mm -hmm. North at this point. Like we we understand there's something going on, but I think this movie, you know, Melius, I think especially is coming in. Uh, well, I think this whole team, this whole writer's team is coming in because Tom Clancy is like, you didn't do me right on Patriot Games. Like you mm. made it, not like my book. It has Prince Charles yeah. and Jack Ryan teaming up to be like firing machine guns on a speedboat. What? It's lu it's, it's lunacy. It's crazy. Wow. Um, and so I feel like they they really tried to lean into, and I think for a while, like Tom Clancy's stuff was called like techno babble, you know. But there is like you know a lot of details about helicopters and guns and mm -hmm. things like that. You know, it's like it's what Stephen King is to you know describing what a dog looks like. They'll do for like a, a helicopter, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. Uh, <laughs> So I felt like, you know, I feel like the, the premise is simple, but they spend a long time laying it out. I'm like, got it, guys, I mm -hmm. got it. Like, and we're not, and we're not, and it's not character development either. It's like, he's a Boy Scout, these guys aren't, and here's the machinations. But it's just like, and whenever there's like investigation, it's so quick. 
Mm-hmm. It's so quick. It's like you like you want to like that first coffee scene with with um, Harrison Ford and Willem Dafoe. Where he's like, I would have this coffee. Have that. You know, it's like it's great. It's cool. But I just feel like they're doing a lot of the work of like a book. Like they, they like I feel like the pacing is mm-hmm. off a little bit. And I think that's an attempt to make sure that we really lay out the the playing field to get to the action of that. You know, the the set pieces. That they Did you enjoy the rewatch, or was it kind of like felt a little long and laborious? I didn't love it. No, yeah. I, yeah, you know, it's like I, I, and I, and I, and I appreciated aspects of it. And really, what I appreciated was like it has every single one of my favorite actors in it. I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh. So that was really cool. I mean, and I, I don't want to be um, at all uh, taking it, taking anything away. But I, there's something about this one actor in the in the film uh, that I love so much. It's um, the number, like not the number two, but uh, his name is, uh, I think it's Joaquin mm-hmm. Alameda. It, uh, he, to me, I always think of him as the Spanish Phil, uh, <laughs> Phil Hartman. Whenever I see <laughs> him, voice. I can't think of it. Not yeah. like I look at him, I'm like, this is Phil Hartman. This is like the Spanish version of Phil Hartman. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I like, I mean, I just, I love the character. So I was enjoying watching, I was enjoying watching it. It just felt, it was like, okay. All right. Like, it just felt like the movie just wasn't starting. It's so funny because my my prep for this episode was, you know, watch listening to your episode on Apocalypse Now because I wanted to get a little Milius filled, so to speak. And then I watched (laughs) the Milius documentary. um, Mm. And I know he's sort of the guy that I know the least uh, of the of that sort of generation of filmmakers. So it was really interesting to, to watch that and get his point of view. And I feel like Clancy was very much two things that were interesting about that doc was a lot that's interesting about that documentary. One is that Sean Connery insisted that Milius rewrite anything he did. So when he got the part in Hunt oh, for wow. October, he was like, I want more speeches, call Milius. I want him mm. to rewrite these for me. And you know, which wow. is like, what a compliment, like kind of incredible. Yeah. And then the other thing that I found just so interesting is that Clancy wanted him on Clear and Present Danger. And I feel like you can feel Milius in those early scenes so much with the amount of table setting and getting us there. It feels novelistic. When I pressed play on it, so a funny fact is that I've I've seen this movie twice in the last year. The first was literally when my wife was, we were in the hospital having our second baby. I was watching it on my phone. So so I'd just re-seen it and I was just like, oh, this is perfect dad stuff. Like this is a great, cool, calm movie to watch for me. Well, this well, the baby's coming, and th- and then I rewatched it last night, and both times I was like, "This is an a hundred and forty one minutes, like I can't believe yeah. it's this long," and I had a great time revisiting it, but it feels novelistic in some ways that are overwhelming in detail, and that techno thriller thing that Clancy does, like it just it's heavy and long and dense. Yeah, I will say also with, you know, we did an episode on Conan the Barbarian mm-hmm. on Unspooled, which we really kind of got into Milius. And I think what's interesting about Milius is he can ape anything. I know he's talked about that. Like he's like, he started reading, like he's a surfer, mm-hmm. but he could, uh, he could talk about like, he could write in any style. So I feel like he can capture voice. And, you know, to your point about Sean Connery, like Sean Connery, I believe the, the, the argument was like, oh, the movie is too American. Like make this mm. more Russian. And, you know, and so he was able to capture that. And I feel like there's something interesting about him because I think that he's got this like not hippie, but like this kind of surf, like he kind of walks right. on both sides. Like it's like, 
like a libertarian, yep. right? Mm. Like that, like that mm. energy, right? It's like, yeah, I got ten guns, and I believe everyone should get a COVID shot. You know, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, like you know, but it's like, like it, well, I he keeps describing really himself it... in the documentary as a Zen anarchist. Yes, right. That works. So it's like he's a surfer guy that has like these really militant beliefs and kind of made Red Dawn. I mean, that feels like a mission statement from for a certain type of filmmaker, right? I'm going to make Red Dawn, which. But then, like, yeah, turns around and his be- one of the things that's interesting in the documentary is at one moment, his son is like, you know, he was like a big he was viewed as a Republican in Hollywood at that time. And but if you talk to him now, it would feel different. Like he wouldn't be the same kind of guy. He's really waffled in his in sort of who he is because he's he you can't pin him down. He's complicated. There's a real muscularity to his dialogue as yep. well, which which I think uh, he he does seem there's something sort of he probably wouldn't like to be portrayed this way, but I think there is something scholarly about him. But he presents himself as this sort of like very um, you know uh, macho kind of uh, earthy guy, but he's I think he's actually very very intelligent. And I like the combination of oh, his yeah. swagger with but talking about like politics or talking about foreign policy and. To me, there are certain lines in this film that pop of like, that's Emilius' line. That that feels like his voice. And he was actually on set. Uh, they mm. were, even though this he was originally going to do it uh, with McTiernan, then they decided, actually, no, we're going to do Patriot Games as the sequel to Hunt for Red October. So McTiernan drops out. Emilius' script is rewritten um, by these other writers, but Emilius is brought on set and oversaw and designed the iconic... Um, ambush the convoy ambush sequence beautiful Amazing. i mean that's probably the best sequence yeah um, so speaking of what you were saying about uh joaquin de almeida um this film has several villains so when we transition to talking about the villains because as we, we were just sort of saying the, the, a lot of these action movies we've looked at so far um we, we do it in chronological order on this show so we've been we've gone from right. 1988 die hard and you know a track through now to 1994 which is like basically three different presidencies. We've had Reagan, Poppy Bush, now we're in the Clinton era. Um, the stories have typically been, uh, up to this point, an American hero fighting the other of some mm-hmm. crime, which is usually a Brit, by the way. <laughs> like uh, right. Charles, uh, uh, Passenger 57. This or, podcast is reconciliation. <laughs> it's fixing that. Uh, uh, Lithgow playing a sort of a Brit in Cliffhanger. Um, Charles Dance in Last Action Hero. Or basically some someone that's non-American is, is like threatening the homeland. They're kind of overcoming the monster type stories at the at their mm-hmm. fundamental level. This one's interesting because it's going in a different direction and there's a, a, a bunch of different villains. Two from the cartel, um, Joaquin de Almeida as the cartel intelligence officer, Felix Cortez. He's actually Portuguese. He's playing a Cuban. Um, then you've got Miguel Sandoval as uh, Ernesto Escobedo, uh, based quite clearly on Pablo Escobar, great actor. And then you've got our, our squad of Henry Cherney as the CIA Deputy Director of Operations, Robert Great. Ritter. I have so much to say about him. <laughs> I love him in this. Um, Harris Eulin, uh, which who Liam is similarly obsessed with, as the National He's Security incredible. Advisor, James Cutter. And then Donald Moffat as the President, uh, Edward Bennett. Paul, who or what is the real villain of this story, in your opinion? Well, to me, I think that this movie is using the scope of the war on drugs to hide a very personal story. And I think that that's what's mm. really interesting about it, right? Because it it isn't anything about the war on drugs. This is about the president getting revenge 
because his friend was murdered, mm -hmm. right? And his friend was into some bad stuff. And, and I think what further complicates it is that Jack Ryan then gets in and goes, well, well, no, hold on one second. Like, I thought we're doing a war on drugs. Like, I think that's mm -hmm. the interesting, like, you know, like the war on drugs is there. And I think what this movie is saying is, oh, if we wanted to be proactive, we could, we could win the war on drugs. We don't care to be proactive. Like there's a handshake agreement here that we are all just minding our time. The only reason why we're involved, the only reason why we're moving forward on this is because the president needs action taken for revenge. This is not a movie where it's like, God damn it, the war on drugs is terrible. And I think that that's the smartest and most interesting thing about this movie. It's, it's used as a cover because people won't care and they're going to sensationalize the murders that they have to justify more murders. They're going to kill Jack Ryan or the plan is to kill Jack Ryan too, to then, you know, at one point, like, you know, they, it's, it's collateral damage that only helps the, the gain of the president getting his revenge, right? And it's like, and yes, there are all these other things. So, I mean, if you want to say that there are villains, I, I would, I would argue that uh, Joaquin Alameda is the biggest villain because he's the one that's playing both sides, right? He gets mm -hmm. caught, like he's the, he's the the turncoat. He's the, but not to Jack Ryan, <laughs> you know. He's you know to his boss, you know, like he that that facilitates the, I think, the downfall of the entire. Yeah, film. and there's sort of gradations of evil as well amongst these uh, different different characters and they're all kind of um amoral or immoral in in different ways and ryan the boy scout has to sort of navigate that and to some extent gets um some of his uh his black and white worldview i think becomes a little more gray and which is something that ritter brings up he's saying the world right. is gray kind of the um, thesis statement yeah of the movie at some point in it right i think it's interesting because like you know there's a version of this now, if it were made now, that's like a nine-part Netflix series that, because re that really, well, that's literally mm -hmm. the part they're doing that with Jack Ryan, right? Now, anyways. Right. And, you know, you would get, I appreciate this as a two-hour and 20-minute movie. I think it really works. And I appreciate, like, what you said, Phil, the degradations of evil. You have the sort of, like, mid-level government functionaries, or maybe higher up, like a Ritter, played by Henry Cherney, who's kind of like twisting his mustache evil but is absolutely incredible when he when he just the the look the withering looks he gives Harrison Ford when they're in the funeral or whatever and then the Harris Yulin character who I I think he's an amazing actor and one of the things I love so much about him in this movie is like he's never quite sure that he's doing the right thing most of the time he knows he's doing the wrong thing and and this is a good movie of close-ups. Like, there's a lot of good shots of dad's thinking in this movie is the way right. I would describe it. And Harris Yulin just has these moments where he's hunched over thinking about what he's doing and you see it play out in this really interesting way. So it's, like, so compelling to watch all these guys on at different degradations of evil and, and not quite knowing who the ultimate villain is to me it feels like it's the president and i feel like that was kind of a revelation at the time but now it 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 feels relatively tame right but that last scene between him and ford is yeah incredible yeah and they even used that in the marketing which was interesting if you remember that was like front and center of the trailer and all the bts stuff that came out around that time and it's the last scene of the film um well let's talk about harrison ford as jack ryan and you know, you just mentioned the fact that there's an Amazon series with John Krasinski is playing this role and it's been played by Chris Pine and Ben Affleck and Alec Baldwin. What is it about Harrison Ford's take on this character, in your opinion, that is that is so effective? 
I mean, you know, Harrison Ford to me is this undefinable thing where, or not undefinable, but he's, it's very hard to replicate. He is someone that I think men find um, compelling, but yet, yeah, but not, but not threatening. It's like, oh, I like this guy. And he's not like Stallone or Schwarzenegger. He's not built to a degree where you're like, this is ridiculous. He is living. I, I think that many straight men can see themselves as this guy. Like, I like this guy. And then conversely, he's super sexy dude, right? You know, he's like, and I think that there, there's a charm to that. I think that even in his, in all of his roles, but like his most famous roles, he's not the guy who's going to beat you down with his fists. He is charming. He's cocky. It's so much more attitude. And, you know, it's interesting in this because he's so low status. And I was like, oh, wow, this is funny. I haven't seen Harrison Ford like this low status in a, in a while, you know, almost like, oh, you know, like he's nervous in that, yeah. in the Oval Office. And I like that. And, you know, of course, regarding Henry and things like that. But I just think that he's, we are constantly chasing who is the next Harrison Ford. And we try to put people up. I think, you know, uh, Chris Pratt falls into that camp a little bit at a certain point. And I was like, oh, he, we like him. He's funny. It's mm. good. He's cute. You know, um, but Sarah Harrison Ford is like a man, but a man in a way that, or traditional, like what you think of, like, you know, a man is, but he's like less dangerous than Michael Douglas. Like Michael Douglas seems like, you know, like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, there, there's these like different levels there, but it's at the same time, like I buy Harrison Ford in Mexico in a, in, carrying a machine gun more than I do Michael Douglas. So it's like a weird thing of like, mm -hmm. he can carry himself with more weight, but he's like, he's accessible but not scary but also he doesn't have the dangerous sexuality that yeah. michael douglas has that feels a little transgressive right? right and a little bit like i don't know if i should like like a lot of the michael douglas characters that he played were were morally um uh, complex or just straight up like kind of bad right. dudes especially in basic instinct where he's like killed a tourist and he's like a alcoholic and he's a you know, he's a, he's a cocaine addict, even though he's like a, a law enforcement officer and he's involved with a murder suspect and then, you know, fatal attraction and da da da, da you know, and then Wall Street, right? Um, but uh, Harrison Ford rarely did that until later in his career. He got a little more experimental, but mo for the most part, he was pretty like morally upstanding. He reads as decent and all American somehow, right? Well, it's also mid period. Ford. This is mid-period Ford, right? So he's passed, to mo to some extent, Han Solo. He's just done his last Indiana Jones movies five years before. And, like, we're suddenly getting... This, by the way, is honestly one of my favorite Fords. This could be nostalgia mm. talking entirely, but I love him in this movie. I love him as the sort of, like, moderate man. And, like, at home, he's kind of the... We're yeah. my keys. And then at work, he's, like, this analyst and very thoughtful, like, you know... And then he shows up, to your point, Paul, late in the movie, in a windbreaker, button-down shirt and jeans. And you're like, that's the greatest looking yeah. man that's ever lived. Like, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the sunglasses. Yeah. You're just like, holy crap, this fit is unbelievable. And he's 52 years old. And so to me, it's like, he's doing this thing where he's kind of, he still is making these franchise movies, but he's playing a family man. He's doing, you know, kind of a different take it's not dangerous like Mosquito Coast. It's not smoldering like Witness, but it's just like I'm in my mid period and I can kind of get away with it's age appropriate as well right true well, I I also think he brings baggage with him right like so mm -hmm. we just saw him in the fugitive in 1993 right and that's a great 
great movie. And so we are prone to be rooting for this guy. And that's something that's interesting, too. Like, I think the best movie stars and movie stars is a tricky word to define right because it's like it's like denzel washington to me is a movie star like you're a tom cruise is a movie star mm-hmm. you're going to see them and you're getting a version of them that you already know like you know what you're getting and oftentimes when that switches up mm-hmm. you see it with jim carrey or things like that like people are, hey we don't like that like you're too different you know um but we'll go with harrison ford it's like oh we like harrison ford so now he's a now he's a president now he's a guy on the run now he's a this you know but we but i think he carries that baggage really nicely and i think that you're right this mid-period of him is a really interesting this is where he's in his his sweetest spot, you know, in many respects. Yeah. I mean, this mm-hmm. is really like Air Force One is going to come out a couple, you know, a couple years later. <sighs> mm-hmm. And like that may be the end of this run. You know, it's like maybe what is it started like Working Girl and goes through, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's an interesting, just like you said, mid period where it's like I'm in the zone. I'm playing roughly the same type of person flustered. I mean, that's the other thing. He's flustered. Mm -hmm. He's constantly flustered in this. It's such an interesting Mm -hmm. point you make about him being low status because he's kind of clueless as to what's going on during the entire, you know, for for 80% of this film, you know. But he he also has that thing that Bruce Willis has in Die Hard where he can read a situation. Like when he reads The Ambush, he kind of goes, wait, I've not seen that motorcycle guy before. Why is this guy making eye contact with me? Why are the women closing the doors and pulling in the windows? Like he's... He's like a real person in the sense that people are different people at work than they are at home. And it's so fleshed out, right? In the sense that, like, as an actor, he inhibits this reality in the same way that, like, Harrison Ford can't help but be the greatest puncher and tackler right. in movie history. He tackles Joaquim de Alameda and, like, it's a football tackle. This is a guy who, like, knows how to use his body. And it's it's always just so impressive to me how he's able to kind of just be two two types of people in the movie but always maintain that fluster or that kind of, like... Thoughtful anxiety that you see throughout the. When I think he, I think that he captures, and this is you know diehard, every man. What would I do in this situation? He is incredibly smart, but he's not too smart. He is incredibly strong, Mm. but he's not too strong, right? And and in that that sequence, that that brilliant, that noise. That, or I should say that noise, noise, seeking, you know, of of getting caught Mm. in that uh, Mm. in that ambush. He's flustered as hell, right? And mm-hmm. and and you see that even in Raiders of the Lost Ark, like he's not above it. Like the Rock is like, Oof. you know. And I think that that's what people miss. It's like, oh, shrug it off. Like he's shaken when he comes home to his wife. He's shaken. Like he, you know, it's it's and it, and like you can tell his wife is. I like the relationship with his wife. She doesn't have much to do. Ann Archer, but I like Ann Archer. But uh, like, yeah, but like you could tell she's smart. Like it's not. She's not arm candy. Also, it's like just seems like there's a good relationship. She's super smart. He's smart. They're they're like a little couple just running around doing their stuff. Mm-hmm. You yes. believe them. You believe them the whole time. And I time. think that, that that to me is the same thing with John McClane. John McClane's not the smartest cop. He's not the best cop. He's not. Uh, he is just thinking it two steps further or you are allowed into the thought process like when and not to make it all a comparison to the rock because i do love the rock and that but i think there's a, a, a tendency in action movies to be like oh god okay i'm gonna get this fire hose i'm gonna tie this around here i'm gonna do this and boom like there's no like it's like oh like you already knew that that's already in your mental rolodex of things to do where like i think that these movies always take you like four steps back and go like Okay, I'm freaked out. Okay, what am I looking at? Okay, I'm looking at that. Okay, I'm looking at that. I'm putting it together. I'm putting it together. We're we're on the journey 
of them becoming the hero instead of expecting them to become the hero. I think that that's a very subtle difference, but Die Hard really does a great job of it. Like It's like, okay, I'm taking off... Uh, you know, it's like we feel him running on that glass. Most people, we wouldn't feel that, but it's because we set it, we, you know, we just got to set up, we got to set up those moments to have those emotional connections. I think that, and that's what we miss a lot in modern day action, in my opinion. Well, something that we talked about um, a little bit with uh, Patriot Games and the, Re- and, and the Fugitive is Ford's ability to act within action scenes that there's something about his how expressive he is that he's able to sort of bring you into his heart and soul a little bit while he's running from an explosion like that there's that famous there's a famous shot that they use to close out the trailer in this film where he's running from the convoy and then there's an explosion behind him and his the shoulder of his suit is ripped and he does this sort of dramatic fall but he's still like uh you're still he's so expressive uh you see him thinking you see him feeling it doesn't feel like a green screen or or there's a sort of, like you're saying right. with some of the Dwayne Johnson type stuff that where there can also be a detached irony to what's going on and it's it's the stakes don't feel as, have the same kind of uh, muscularity to them. Um, speaking of the action, um, do you, do you have a favorite action scene or sequence in this movie? Because there's a few good ones. Yeah, I mean, they're, they, the that last half hour, it's so interesting. If you look on Wikipedia, mm. it's like, three lines of the plot description is really the last 40 minutes of the movie, right? And it, like, there's so much going on there. <laughs> I, you know, I think one of the things that makes this movie, like, I guess I would say this. Patriot Games is a better movie in, as far as plotting and pace, but this is a better movie because of the characters. And when Willem Dafoe's on screen, it's pretty electric. It's really fun to watch. <sighs> and that last Incredible. half hour, it's like, it's that's our dessert. Like, have you earned it? You've earned it. You've sat here for <laughs> two hours. You took your history lesson. Now you can go watch some ass kicking and running around and, you know, sniper shots. I, I would say that my favorite scene, my favorite action scene in the movie, and I don't know if you can qualify as an action scene, but let's see, um, is Willem Dafoe recruiting the sniper. Mm. I love mm. that scene. I love that scene mm-hmm. because, yes, I mean, there are some great set pieces, but that's just like a a real patient, great way to set up this amazing payoff at the end. But also, it, I think it like brings you into, oh shit, like this is like mm-hmm. at a level, like I just, the way that the, the bullet hits that, target like ding and it's like and the way he's moving and there i just love that sequence i i, I think that sequence is really well done it's a very it's not tension like because no one's going to get killed but it's like where is he what's going on why are, like we the, we feel that nervousness or that confusion it, i don't know i think it's really an underappreciated moment in that movie. i love that sequence too but i very do have a article. question which is where did he get the whopper from or the the, the right the, the mcdonald's where did he's he get sitting... that from <laughs> yeah. let's not underestimate okay. raymond yeah. cruz one of the unsung heroes of, just kept of this clark film. gregg my, is in that my, scene as well my, by the way like yes um, clark gregg is in that scene though the cast in that scene everyone in that movie has has become a, a big big deal my my personal favorite you know it's funny earlier you mentioned pakula and I feel like if this movie ever approaches a Pakula kind of level, it's the juxtaposition of the funeral mm. with the pomp and circumstance against the slaughter of the soldiers. And I remember watching it in the hospital right. while my wife was like laboring, being like, holy shit. Like, this is pretty cynical. This is a pretty cynical look at Amer- like America right now. And I, I kind of, you know, 
kind of surprised me that a movie that, first of all, I didn't understand that at all when I was 14 course, when this right. movie came out. But now as an adult, I was like, wow, this is heavy. And, and it feels to me very Clancy-esque, like a real, real commitment to that bit and that kind of 70s, not paranoia per se, but like there's something rotten at the core here that didn't feel like it was inhabiting a lot of movies in this era. I mean, True Lies is three weeks before this, right? right? Which, you know, it's not as nuanced when it comes oh, to, no. you know, I mean, international yeah. policy and foreign relations. What I would argue is, and I think it's a couple years after, but Wag the Dog kind of comes similar to this. Mm. Like it's a different type of movie, but it's like, it's this... It's ma- it is it's political machinations. It's putting people in positions. It, it's it's politics, right? It's it's and it's it's really right. showing politics. And I think that that's, um, you know, to me, what these Tom Clan. This is the elevated action movie. It's an action movie that could actually happen. And I feel like, and I think that like this comes at a time mm-hmm. when you talk about True Lies. Like True Lies is just American James Bond. Um, and I don't say that dismissively, <laughs> but that's what it is, you know. Um, it's one of the best things about it is Schwarzenegger yeah. absolutely pulls it off. He's incredible in it, yeah. right? And he also is playing a little bit lower status there, too. I like when Schwarzenegger plays lower status, but I think he could do it really well. Um, but I do think that this is like, it it's like smart action. Like you can go away from the theater going like, I didn't mm-hmm. just watch an action movie. I watched a global political mm-hmm. thriller, you know, and, and everything I saw here could, as a matter of fact, it could, it could, you know, and I think, but that's okay. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. And I think it's, and it is engaging. And I think that it, it also relies heavily on our actors. Like I think that this movie wouldn't have any resonance if it wasn't for the great acting and the buildup, even though I found the buildup to be a little bit like, I think what, my issue with this movie is the plot is very eh, right? If you mm-hmm. really were to take the plot, like there's a lot of machinations to get to the plot, but like if you really drove it down, it's like presence, friends killed, presence, like let's let's get revenge, right? And and meanwhile, conversely, uh, there's like a little thing going on between like the head drug cartel guy and his number two, and then we throw Harrison Ford in the mix, who is like, oh wait a second. This isn't all, you know, he's like unraveling, he's basically unraveling the two plot mm-hmm. lines. Like, and that's, and that, like, but the plot lines are, it's not like a, it's not a complex movie. It's like, it's, it's very base and it's happenstance too. Like, what, you know, like the answering machine and the, you know, like him killing her so blatantly. Like, I'm like, oh, that's a real convenient uh, kill that they did. And I don't even understand why she was killed, but... No, it's confusing, uh, but, anyway. but it's but it's it's dreadful. It's stressful to watch that scene because you know what's, yes. oh, you know it's what's coming. Yeah. Like, no, absolutely. Like, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, one thing I read was that um, the studio was pretty unhappy with the first draft of this because Con... Um, excuse me. Four didn't show up until 45 minutes into the movie. Wow. That... Because Milius was really doing this world building. So the stuff with the guys in Colombia and then the kind of like scandal of the, like it was really, and all of a sudden Ford showed up like an hour into probably what was a three and a half, four hour, you know, length draft, right? And like they were like, no, what, like you have to, and I think that's when Zalian got brought in to sort of like, you know, the streamline it, who's an incredible screenwriter when it comes to that kind of stuff, like bringing it yeah. all together. And I just think it'd been wild if this movie had been released with Harrison Ford on the poster and an American flag and he doesn't show up for <laughs> just, 45 minutes just not in it. the movie. It's amazing. I mean, and by the way, it's a sequel. Right, totally. You know, like yeah. the thing too, it's like, we don't need, we don't need this much world building. Yeah. It's a seat. We already yeah. are yeah. familiar with the character. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You know, I do find it so funny here too. Like, it's like the way they get rid of, um, 
uh, you know, James Earl Jones so quickly. It's like he basically, I mean, a cr- gets cancer and then like, well, now you live in the hospital. Like you just yeah. that that you you're like, it's like I'm diagnosed. You're never going home. Like I thought that was an interesting thing. It wasn't like he wasn't on like it, like and it, they get him out of there. It's like, oh, yeah, I was a little sick. Nah, cancer. All right. And it's like and you're in and it's like, and again, it's we just kind of move him to the right, right positions to get in the right world. But I love that. I love the sequences with Harrison Ford walk, walking through the boat. And there's something fun about having an inner look at what the white house mm-hmm. does. Like you're feeling like you're like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I just went to the white house, uh, when I was doing a tour, uh, with how did this get made? My friend works for NASA and he said, you want to come do a white house tour? Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And it was amazing. We got to go inside and I, I walked inside and I got to stand. Basically it's like the way that they rope off a museum and there's a rope over the oval office. And just to stand on that threshold at the door, looking in, it's cool. It's amazing. It's a. It's like whoa. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. take pictures, and it just feels very special. And I feel like that's what this movie is doing a really great yep. job of. It's. It's. You're. You're feeling this like oh wow, and it because it's so dry. It's like this is must be what it's mm-hmm. like. Oh, it's not bombastic. It's very small. It's like, and I feel like that's really cool too. I think we've seen a lot more of that, but that is. I still felt that in those. It's scenes. also the golden age for that kind of stuff because you had American President, you know, around the same time, Dave, the Speaking Kevin Klein movie, yeah. yes, like, where you yes. feel like you, the White House was like a place you hung out in movies in the '90s, and you know, now I I can't think of a well, Oppenheimer has a sequence like that, but like you know, you're not seeing it as commonly. Yeah, but. Should we put on our tuxedos? Yes. Did you bring your tuxedo? Let's pole? put them on. We're going to. Yeah. We have to put on our ill-fitting <laughs> government bureaucratic suit, bureaucratic suits. That's what we have to do. The pants are a little too long. The tie is a little too uh, uh, a little too short. That's kind of the vibe. That's what we're looking for here. Because we're going to the Die Hard Oscars, aka the Action Movie Awards. So our first category is the John McClane Yippee Award for Best Line. Um, so. I'm going to list a few of my nominees, okay. but if you have uh, if you have some, I got mine ready to go. Okay, great. Wow, um, you guys are better than the, me, the, man. The essence of the film, in my opinion, was was Jim Greer's line, James Earl Jones' line, where he said, "You want to know about politics in Washington? Four words: Watch your back, Jeff." <laughs> Ooh, I like that. That was on T-shirts as well. I remember for promotional stuff. Really? Watch your back, Jack. I remember that. Wow. And then there's the old, how dare you come in here like some kind of junkyard dog? I'm the president of the United States. (laughs) Abe Lincoln. Good stuff. How dare you, sir? Um, And then basically pretty much anything that Henry Cherney says, which I think is like... So many amazing lines just with his delivery of them. Has that man aged a day? He's amazing. He's so good in this. They want what every first-term administration wants, a second term. Oh, that's a great one. You weren't kept out of it, your neck deep in it. You went to Congress and got the money for it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even the way he says that, Jack, funnily enough, et cetera, computer et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. His, his so just good. line delivery is just exquisite. I, I love him in this movie. Um, so yeah, I could go on all day with his dialogue, but what, you already had one in, in your in your, in your your breast pocket. Well, what was I your, mean, uh, this one is like, give me my tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> and get off my plane. <laughs> well, by the way, he does actually have a plane line here. He's like, get off my chopper. It's my chopper. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's totally like, you know, like uh, but I just, it was such a funny thing to be like, you're in this high stake moment. Like, Get me my tape recorder. <laughs> Those things weren't cheap, man. He made a government salary. 
<laughs> my, uh, it's not a line, but one of my favorite moments is when the woman approaches him in the bar in Colombia, and he goes, "Oh no, thank you." Like he's just such a dad. <laughs> like he's just being on function. Oh no, no, thank you. Oh, it's so good. Uh, what's the best line? I like when Cherney says uh, "boom" and he bites the carrot before the bomb hits the. Uh, oh, I like the that. Colombian. It's incredible, incredible stuff. Incredible. All right. Um, the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. Um, so many my people. nominees. Be like yes, 15 a lot people. of yeah. a lot of choices. But my my nominees are Willem Dafoe as John Clark. Yes. Mm-hmm. James Earl Jones. <laughs> As Jim Greer, Admiral Admiral Jim Jim Greer, Greg German popping up mm-hmm. as Petey, the quirky uh, CIA code hacker. Great one. The aforementioned Raymond Cruz as the wily military sniper Domingo <sighs> Chavez, and of course Henry Cherney as CIA Deputy Director of Operations Robert Ritter. Those are my five noms. Thoughts, additions. Well, picks. I mean, you know, look, I think that the the easy answer is. Obviously, Willem Dafoe is fantastic in this. I also think, you know, James Earl Jones brings a gravitas to this whole thing that when he's on screen, I'm excited to see him. He doesn't really have to do that much. And I think Mm. what's interesting about him in this role is, and you often don't see this, it's like they clearly like, we don't have much for you, but we need you. We need you to be here. And he does. Like he he shows up and, and I think delivers what he needs to do. But if we're, you know, we're talking about a stealing, a stealing a movie, you can't go further than the person who sold the movie, the president, Donald Moffat. I mean, that is, you know, mm. the, the movie was, was basically, we're, that's the scene we're coming to see is Harrison Ford v. the president. And there's something really interesting about him because he plays it really dumb and also very vindictive. I think it's a good performance, uh, mm. you know, across the board. I, I, I like that one. Interesting. Um, I have to give a quick shout out to Miguel Sandoval as Ernesto Escobedo because oh, he's, great. he's just such a good actor. And like every time I watch it, I get I get excited about his scenes. And he kind of provides a comic relief despite the severity of the situation. Like he he's the right pitch, sort of ridiculous. He reminds me a little bit of um, Last Action Hero, the the villain in that movie, not Charles Dance, but the guy Charles Dance reports to. Mm. I forget who it is. He shows up like every Anthony few minutes. Anthony Quinn, mi- I think. Anthony Quinn, you're right. Yeah. He shows up every few minutes and you're like, great, that was cool. But this, he just walks away with it. I think he's he's really good. And Greg German. I mean, there's so many good choices here. I, Raymond Cruz, I can't pick one. Um, Paul, I had a question for you, which is as an actor, is there a part in this movie besides maybe Harrison Ford that you'd be like, God, I'd love to play this part? Well, you know, I always look at that and I'm like, oh, what would it be fun? You know, and I'm thinking about my age, what would I be right for? You know, it's like, because uh, I think I play a little bit younger than I actually am, though, too. Like, But there's like, I I mean, look, I'll go for the Greg German part. It's a very, you know, it's like that's the easy, uh, you know, the, the guy on the computer. Um, I love I love a little part like that. I feel mm. like that probably, but if I, what I would love to play is... And now I'm going to forget his name. You can say Harrison Ford. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Because like Harrison Ford is fine. Like that's fine. But I, I, I kind of like his. Uh, why am I forgetting his name? But the, the, the nemesis, Harrison Ford's nemesis, the guy who's right, he, right. That's a great part. It's a really interesting part because it's like he is selfish, and he gets to, you get to do with these scenes against Harrison Ford. Uh, you know, and I, I feel like there's a there's some good stuff in there. I don't know. Mm. I, I like that part. That's a really good part. It's interesting, just on that point, one of the things that occurred yes. to me about Henry Henry Cherney 
is that in the two biggest films that yes. he did in this time, he's going toe to toe with Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise, like in the in the, his most iconic scenes. Yeah. Like he's having a boxing match, a verbal boxing match with two of the most charismatic and iconic movie yeah, stars. That's, that's true. no mean feat, right? To go against those well, guys and hold your own. There's you something know? about his look too, and I think that like Henry Turney, like and again, because like, he doesn't look older, and he is a uh, he. He is a bureaucrat. Like you mm -hmm. look at him, and you go like, I get it. I get who this guy is. It's actually really interesting because I feel like um, Willem Dafoe is a lot cooler than we know. Like Willem Dafoe's kind of not devolved, but like kind of found himself. And like he wouldn't be this kind of clean cut. Like there's something interesting about him. Like he's cleaner. But when you see him uh, in this movie, man, like Henry Turney, it's like, you get it. You're like, I know who he is. I get, I get that guy, I get that look. It's a million of those guys behind the people that I actually care about in Washington. And, and I think that that's what brings him. I don't know. I, I think that you also, you bring uh baggage to, him, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's good. He'd be my pick by the way, yeah. um, for, for stealing the film, just cause I think he make makes the strongest impression, but it is a terrific ensemble cast. Um, did you have a pick, Liam, or should we move on to um, uh, the next category? Oh boy, just to be different, I'm going to go with Raymond Cruz. I love Raymond Cruz. He nice. had such a great career in this time, and like he's still, you know, his biggest part's going to come in Breaking Bad, right? Like he's still yes, a few yeah. years away from really. But I love him, and I love seeing him in a movie, and he's he's a, makes such an impression. All right, um, the Dick Thornburg <laughs> Award for Dick of the movie. A lot of choices here too. Lots of dicks a in lot. this movie. <laughs> I've got Harris Eulin as National Security Advisor James Cutter, Donald Moffat as the President Edward Bennett, and Henry Cherney again as Robert Ritter. That's right, he's nominated in two categories. Yeah, I mean Henry Cherney is the easy one, right? Yeah. So that's a good, you know, it's a it's a good it's a good one. It's a clean choice. I mean, I, here, I'll go out of the box. I don't even know this actor's name, but the guy who goes, oh, we don't uh, rent that helicopter. We sell them. Two million dollars. <laughs> so <Yeah>. good. <laughs> yeah, you can you, just put a deposit down. Two million dollars. Yeah. That uh, cameo. So, so well, you good. Were, you were into you were a Harris Eulin like guy, right, Liam? Like you you I were just, really digging him in. This I really one. like him in this movie. I think he also does the bureaucrat really well. I also think Children of the '90s have a strong memory of him as the judge in Ghostbusters too. Yes, like, of course. Just, he just he's imprints printed in my mind, and and I think one thing that's nice about revisiting movies as you get older is that you start to see act. You really start to see acting. So when you're a kid and you see a movie and you don't have a sense of technique or whatever, you know, to then go back and watch. Just watch someone move their eyes on camera and how much that conveys. I mean, you know, I never get tired of watching really, really good actors. And the actors in, are great. And he's great in this movie. Well, this is like a perfect example of great character actors filling an ensemble. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that, to me, you know, going back to Oppenheimer and Die Hard, these are movies that are chock full of great actors, mm -hmm. you know, and and it, you know they're great actors because their careers all really launch from this. Like that's why they're in every episode. You know, they're in Breaking Bad, they're in Twenty Four, they are in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like when you need to go get somebody, they get like these people have created this. It's I love a character. To me, that is to me the most fun people you're going to get to see because they're, they're going to pop up. And Harris Eulin, you know, you got him in Scarface, you have him in Training Day, mm -hmm. Ghostbusters oh, yeah. 2. You know, it's like, he, like he, you know, he pops up and you just, it's like you can go, ah. Oh. I completely forgot he was in Training Day. He's in that scene with Tom Berenger, yeah. right? Yeah. He's one of the three Holy wise men. Holy crap. 
Yeah. He, I, to me, he's just like, he's great at just playing this old whore in this mm -hmm. movie. You know what I mean? Just someone mm -hmm. whose soul is just slowly dying mm -hmm. and his morality is just eroding choice by choice. Um, it's it's a low-key, really good performance from a you know impeccable actor who's always great. Okay, um, best death. Are you feeling like Let's a Marco impression? Okay, I'm gonna okay. do my Marco impression. Okay, it's the Sorry best death. Ball. The best death presented by Marco. No more table! <laughs> Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't. Hesitate. Thank you. Thank I you. Yes, yes, love yes. It. Had to do, do you have a do favorite diehard terror thief out of interest? Or Paul? Like uh what do you mean terror thief? One of the gang, one of the gang, like oh. your, your call, your Fritz, your... Yeah, no, no. I mean uh, it's without a, okay, I just wanted to make sure I was gonna say the right one. I mean it, look, it's it's gonna be uh and I'm forgetting his name, but the guy who, who's on the computer is like, he shoots, he scores. Theo! Yes, yes, Theo. Theo. Great choice. Great choice. Great early movie hacker. Yes. Maybe there's no Greg Germain in this movie yes. without, yep. without Theo, you know? Shout the out computers to guy. He's good with computers. I love Theo. And the quarterback is oh, yeah. toast. And the quarterback. Yeah, that's, that's the line, yeah. <laughs> um, then I have three nominees. Again, it's a bit of a sober film for, for like glib, glib yeah. deaths. Yeah. Poor Moira, strangled by Cortez mm, when she thought she yeah, was on a for one. a shag. It's personal. You know, that was a sad one. Um, Escobedo being suddenly shot in the back—that was that kind of crept up on me when I watched that out because I, I was I couldn't quite remember where, how how that plot line mm -hmm. played out, oh, and then when he was bat. suddenly shot because it's set up like it's going to be an Untouchables type scene where he's got the swing in the baseball bat around and you Ooh. think he's going to take out Joaquim Diamilder and then he gets shot in the back and then the uh, the army sniper Chavez uh, shooting. Felix Cortez from a helicopter while in midair, mid-flight, a very difficult skill, um, paying off that that moment that was set up so beautifully in the scene that you talked about with his with his training, where we see how good he was. So I had those as my I three like picks. Do you have anything to add or a pick out of those for your best death? No, you know I think the probably the the the, the choke out, you know, because the choke out is like it's a it's a nice little side sand, uh, it's a nice little side tangent story that gets enough like love that you feel for her it doesn't just feel like empty and it's personal and it's small I, I don't know i like that she's an innocent or I, true I really innocent. like the scene where her boss is like new boyfriend he passes their note i feel like it just enriches the kind of movie like it just gives it a more mm -hmm. uh i don't know gives it some density you know and and luck going and she's she's, she's a really, really good. good actress as well and and magnuson as moira wolfson yeah my pick is uh one of the guys who gets picked up on the roof during the ambush because it's pretty impressive that in a moving car with a handgun one of these guys manages to take out one of the snipers on the roof every time i watch it i'm like wow that's that's a pretty impressive uh takedown that's my pick but the raymond cruz one is good too phil let's take a break and when we get back we'll do our quiz all right, so we're back and we're moving on to our final section of the show, Double Jeopardy. Uh, the Double Jeopardy trivia quiz, Liam's least favorite section of the show. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to move through this uh, briskly. So the rules, the rules, Paul, are very simple. Um, there's going to be three questions and um, you can choose to either compete or collaborate with Liam. Okay, and it. each question has one clue where you can phone a friend or aka you can radio Al Powell. Okay, great. I love um, it. Do you want to collab or compete? I will collab because I'm also not a strong uh, quiz taker? trivia. Oh, yeah, no. quiz taker. Me too. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Question number one. Actor Henry Cherney is well known for playing government authority figures, notably the character of Kidrich in the Mission Impossible series. 
But Cherney also had a brief cameo as an agency director named McCready in a bombastic 2010 action movie that was also adapted from a popular television show. Can you name that wow. movie? Okay. I want to... Oh, I know what this is. I do know what this is. Go for it. I have a thought. The A-Team. Is the correct wow. answer. Paul, that's... What an incredible pull. Oh, my God. I'm that glad we're real, collabing. That's a real... It's a real look down. And I, and I think it was maybe just stuck in my brain because when I was uh, reading about the movie, I was looking. I was like, Henry Cherney, I really like him. And I just... I think I... It just got locked in there. That's great. Wow. Okay, cool. Raymond Cruz plays the character of Domingo Chavez, a skilled sniper in the U.S. military. But in which intense 2001 cop drama does Cruz play an L.A. gangster whose character is actually named Sniper? Well, that's a good one. Mm. I w Paul, I don't know. What is it? Sniper. All right, hold on. I'm thinking about this, too. All right. Uh, L.A. No. Is he in L.A. Confidential? No. LA Con Was he? No, no. All right, hold on. Um... All right, I'm thinking, right, so what year is it? Give me the year one more time. 2001. Oh, fuck. Okay, oh, oh, oh. I, I think okay. I have it. Collateral Damage, the Schwarzenegger movie. Is the wrong answer. Oh, no. Is it Training but Day? Yes. It's Training ah, Day. Oh, we got also there. Also featuring Harris Yulin. Uh, oh, look at that. Look at that. Um, okay. This is convoluted corner, right. corner, 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 the corner, most corner, tortured corner. trivia quiz questions you can imagine. Okay, oh, here God. we go. Diehard director John McTiernan made a total of 11 films in his career. Two of those films were shot by this movie's DP, Donald McAlpine. But The Hunt for Red October was not one of them. Can you name the two aesthetically similar films where McTiernan and McAlpine collaborated? Oh, my God, Bill. oh I, I think I, I, I want to like... All right, my thought would be, okay, <laughs> uh, can we talk it out before yeah, I give it please, in? Please, right. please, please. So my thought is that I, I go immediately to Predator. Okay. Because uh, right, Predator and I think Last Action Hero, the two that I'm like, but Last Action Hero is not the same. Stylist. Right? Um, but I think Predator's jungles, helicopters, get them to the chopper. Like that's aesthetically the same kind of idea, right? Yeah. So one's you gotta gotta give a little bit. So one's predator. One one we're, we're getting we're getting notes. One may be predator. You, this, the the clue was both films were set <gasps> okay. in the jungle. So you're absolutely okay, on the so right that, track. Right, so, so we know last action hero. And one of them okay, is great. predator. So, one of them is predator. Okay, so he did. Tempted to Google blah, John McTiernan. No, I'm not gonna do that. Oh wait, no, no. Okay, I know what it is. It's not. It's not Mosquito Coast. It is. Uh, um, okay. It's a similar one. It's like a. It's a. Oh, Medicine Man! It's Medicine Man. Yes, yeah! yes, that's it. That's it. Bravo, that's it. guys! Yes! That was a great oh, collab. We did it. Of you, like amazing. Right, working together, oh just God. like Harrison Ford and Willem Dafoe, to incredible. To crack it. You said we said Mosquito Coast. I was like Mosquito Coast. Oh, incredible! Oh. It's like it's a, it's a a movie that I feel like I've never even seen. I mean, <laughs> but I know I, the I've seen it once. So I think Lorraine Bracco, great, great actress. Yes. That gave oh, me God. the warm and fuzzies. That was wonderful. Wonderful. That's it. Paul is Paul, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, please, my pleasure. You've always got a bunch of fascinating things going on. We're so we're so grateful that you get, gave gave up some of your time to do this. It's been an absolute thrill. What have you got going on at the moment that people should well, know about? Um 
you guys did the best sales pitch I could ever give for my podcast, How Did This Get Made and Unspooled. And in addition to that, uh, we go on the road. We are on tour a lot with How Did This Get Made, so just check out hdtgm.com. And uh, yeah, that's it. I don't have to sit here and plug overly uh, too much. And I guess, according to the SAG tricks, I can't. So uh, that you can, I can please plug my podcast. Thanks, Paul. We really, really appreciate you Thank joining you us. Thank you so much for coming on. No this problem. has been amazing. Thanks, you guys. Uh, you guys were fantastic. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Shear. What a mensch. What a fellow. That just happened. That just happened. We're so thankful to him. You know what else just happened, Phil? What? What, Liam? Whoa. <laughs> Calm down there, big guy. It's our friend Dave on Twitter. Have you heard of Twitter? No. Twitter, it's a website uh, where you can it's tweet good. your thoughts. Um... He tweeted earlier today at the Getty Museum, listening to Die Hard on a Blank talk about Irish Catholic imagery in Blown Away while I look at 1400s Catholic art. Superb. Excellent. So we travel well, I think. We pair well with a, with a museum, a walk in the nature, a martini <laughs> at your house. That's how I listen to it. So I'm just sort of, you know, speaking for myself. Dave, you're the best. Just a great super fan of the show, and we appreciate you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Uh, you know, we love the tags online. I'm at Liam G. Billingham on Twitter. Phil is at Philip Gothorn. Phil, you're still on Twitter these days. You've been you said yeah, you've been spending I need to come a up lot some, more time on there, I feel about, like. Yeah, I need to have a bit about going on X. Yes. Ooh, um X. Uh, but I don't Where can we week, find so you? I need to work Where on can that. we find you? Yeah, at Philip Gawthorn, um, shouting into the void uh, as usual. Shout into the void, like we all are on these microphones. No new reviews to read this week. We appreciate them. We appreciate sort you it letting out, guys. us. Yeah, let's get her. I'm going to write happening? one. These guys <laughs> we'll are so we'll handsome, the and their episodes are the perfect length. Love, Suzanne <laughs> Billingham, my mom. Oh, mom, that was really nice. Thank you. She doesn't, I don't know if she's ever heard the show. That's okay. Um, Let's see. What else? <laughs> What else did I want to say? Listen, the biggest thing that you can do if you're a fan of the show is to tell your friends who love action movies about the show. Get them in, get them on board, get them listening. That's what we need from you. Next time on... Phil. Phil. Yes. Phil. Yes. Phil. Phil. Yes. What's next on Die Hard on a Blank? What film are we covering? Next is the 1994 action spy thriller Terminal Velocity, starring wow. Charlie Sheen, Natasha Kinski, James Gandolfini, and various others. Interesting movie. Fun and, fact uh, about looking forward to that, digging a in. Fun fact about that movie is I've never seen it, and I know next to nothing about it, but I vaguely remember it coming out. Same year, right? Soon after. Yep, yep, pretty close. Interesting. Uh, in this golden summer well, of 1994. Ooh, you should get a job working for 1994 talking about it. I guess you kind of have one, at least the yeah. past few weeks. <laughs> Isn't that what this oh, is? Oh, my goodness. Uh, 1994 Industries? 1994 Industries. We love to talk about movies we love. I, oof, this is going off the rails. We'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a blank. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.